Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. All right, now we've been seen together under, under our studies on the Second Coming Epistles in uh, thec- uh, First and Second Thessalonians, the Proton, uh, the beginning, and the Eschaton, the end. And as you've got on the uh, overhead there for your fill-in, uh, the first uh, half of the 70-week, as we understand the 70-week prophecy here, recognizing there's uh, different views on this, but we have Christ and the three and a half years ministry in the Gospels, history, and then at the uh, close of the age we have our Antichrist, Revelation prophecy, and then uh, we have the contrast, as we've seen the last several weeks, between Christ and Antichrist. And so just uh, superimposing the, the books of the New Testament here, we have the Gospels, uh, history, then the Acts and the Epistles, dealing with the church, the great mystery, and then the book of Revelation, of course, uh, prophecy, the great tribulation period right through the uh, thousand years kingdom age. And then in comparing and contrasting Christ, we have the Lord Jesus Christ and his uh, coming, pardon me, <coughs> with signs and wonders, and the Antichrist doing false signs and wonders. Here we have a time of mercy when the uh, incense is uh, turned upward. Here we have the uh, incense and the cup of wrath turned uh, downward where there's judgment in the earth. Uh, Christ is the seed of the woman. Antichrist the seed of the serpent. Uh, Christ is the truth. And then Antichrist is the lie. Uh, Christ is the Son of God, and I, Christ is the Son of Perdition. Uh, in this time, the Lord is looking for believers, and in this time we see a period of deceivers. Uh, while Christ causes people to believe, Antichrist is, uh, causes people to be deceived. Uh, Christ is the mystery of godliness, and then, of course, as we've seen together, Antichrist is the mystery of iniquity. All right, so if you fill that in, we want to uh, move on now to another different uh, facet of our uh, teaching. And I want you to go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, you'll notice that we've mainly been in 2 Thessalonians, dealing with the order of events, uh, particularly in relation to the great falling away and the revelation of the man of sin. Now we want to go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'd like to read the passage under consideration, uh, which we'll pick up tonight. And then, uh, of course, uh, I'll be away the following week, but then the following week we'll pick this up again. All right, so I want to read uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, the passage that's on your, on your outline tonight, and verses 13 through to 18. All right, Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort and exhort 
one another with these words. How many think they are great words? All right, now, in your notes tonight, everybody finish with the overhead. Ride both hands. What are you doing? Okay, now, on the top of your sheet tonight, uh, this is what we have. The general order of events relative to the second coming of Christ is seen in Pauline eschatology outlined as follows. This is what we've been dealing with over the last, last number of weeks. Number one, the great falling away, Paul has said in the second epistle, when they thought that Christ was going to come any moment, people were giving up their work and just uh, loafing around, living by faith and by parasiting on others, cheap way to live. And so uh, he has to write the second epistle, as we've seen together, that he said, I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, uh, that you're not to be deceived and that that day, the coming of Christ and our gathering together unto him, that that day should not come except, as we've got on our outline here, number one, there come a great falling away or the apostasy from the faith. Number two, and the man of sin, the Antichrist, be revealed in and for his period of time. And we dealt with that in the last couple of sessions. And then number three, what we want to look at starting tonight, on the coming of Christ and events pertaining to the momentous event in relation to, and so what we've got down the bottom of your notes here, order of events, the great falling away, the apostasy. Number two, the man of sin be revealed. We've spent quite a lot of time on that. And tonight we want to start looking at the actual coming of Christ, which we believe is at the close of the three and a half years tribulation, not a secret rapture, as we've dealt with the coming of Christ, where the revelation and rapture at the same uh, point of time, the same period of time. All right, now, on number three here, this is where we want to pick up. The coming of Christ and events pertaining to that momentous event in relation to A, the Antichrist and the false prophet, at the coming of Christ, Antichrist is uh, uh, slain with the brightness of his coming, uh, paralyzed uh, with the brightness of his coming, and uh, the false prophet uh, is picked up in the book of Revelation. And then B, what happens to the unbelievers and the followers of Antichrist? We finished on that last week, where uh, Paul said in the second Thessalonians, uh, to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be not brought into a millennial kingdom to give, be given a second chance, but who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When? When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. All right, so at the coming of Christ, we see what happens to the Antichrist, and here we've added the false prophet as uh, seen in the book of Revelation. What happens to the unbelievers and the followers of the Antichrist? Um, uh, just make a correction on, uh, on B there, the followers of the, uh, the unbelievers and followers of the Antichrist. No, you can add, add to that. Add first, you've got 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verses 1 to 11, but also at 2 Thessalonians 1 and verses 7 to 10, which I've just read. So just add to that, because uh, this tells us what happens to the unbelievers and the followers of the Antichrist. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 
and verses 7 through to 10. All right, now C is the area we want to start looking at tonight. Okay, we see the judgment on the Antichrist and false prophet at Christ's coming. We see the judgment on the unbelievers and the followers of the Antichrist at the second coming. Now, what happens to the believers, those in Christ, whether dead or living? All right, now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, passage I've just read to you a moment ago, tells us what's going to happen uh, when Christ returns the second time. And just to remind you for... Uh, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord will not proceed or prevent them which are asleep. And here's the details. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven. So I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of the Lord, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. We'll deal with that in more detail next time. And here's the order. The dead, not just the dead, but the dead in Christ. So it's not just a general resurrection as some teach, but the dead in Christ, not those who are outside of Christ. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and we'll live happily ever after. Won't that be fantastic? All right, so that's what we want to start looking at tonight. Okay, now continuing on our notes here. Thus the revelation of Christ and the rapture of the saints takes place at the same period of time. All right, now the first thing I want to draw to your attention here is in verse 13. Uh, Paul starts off with a very favorite expression of his, and he says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now, as we uh, see from the epistle, after Paul had been teaching about the second coming of the Lord in Thessalonica, uh, uh, a number of the saints had died, and they believed that the Lord was going to come back in their time. But uh, the Lord didn't come back in their time, and he hasn't come back uh, yet. And so a number of the saints were dying, and so uh, they were really concerned, well, if Jesus doesn't come back soon, you know, there's so many of the Christians dying, what's going to happen to them? They're going to miss out on the coming of the Lord. And so Paul is writing to enlighten their ignorance and says, look, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep, because uh, when Jesus does come back, I'll tell you what's going to happen. The dead in Christ, those who are asleep in Jesus, they're going to rise first. We're not going to beat them up. Uh, they're going to rise first. So the dead rise first, and uh, we which are alive remain, we're going to be caught up together. So don't be worried about those who have died in Christ. We're going to be caught up together when the Lord comes. I'll have a resurrection. We'll have a translation. We'll be talking about that in a subsequent session. So the whole purpose of this epistle here is to enlighten their ignorance. Now, as I've got on the notes there, I would not have you to be ignorant. This is quite a uh, favorite expression of Paul, and it's used a number of times in the New Testament epistles. And I'd like you just to uh, briefly fill in just several of the passages where Paul uses this, ex uh, this expression. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. And here Paul is writing to the Pentecostal church of Corinth. Uh, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, and I know the word gifts is supplied in italics, but it, it's still consistent with the truth of the chapter. Now concerning spirituals, 
or spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant, okay? So number one, Paul is uh, uh, writing to the Corinthian church, uh, enlightening their ignorance concerning spiritual gifts, as you fill in there, spiritual gifts. And how many people today are ignorant of spiritual gifts? Ignorant of their existence, ignorant of their operation, ignorance of their control. And so Paul's uh, chapters in Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14, particularly dealing with uh, the operation control and the definition of the spiritual gifts there. All right, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1, again he's enlightening their ignorance. And so uh, in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers uh, were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized under Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all uh, eat the same spiritual uh, meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. And he goes through a number of experiences of the nation of Israel. So he's writing to enlighten their ignorance concerning uh, the spiritual lessons. Here's your fill in here. Uh, spiritual lessons gained from Israel's experiences. Okay, so he's writing to enlighten their ignorance concerning spiritual lessons gained from Israel's experiences. All right, number three, I'd like you to look at Romans chapter eleven twenty-five, where Paul uses this uh, expression again, I would not have you ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant. And how many of God's people are ignorant to say uh, the most ignorant people of the Bible are those that have a Bible? Sorry to say. Uh, so Romans 11:25 on the uh, uh, natural Israel. And so in verse 25, he uses this expression, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant. Ignorant of what? Of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness or hardness uh, of heart, blindness in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So... In that passage, in that, in fact, Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul is writing to enlighten their ignorance concerning, here it is, concerning Israel's bl partial blindness. Ignorance concerning Israel's partial blindness. So you'll notice what Paul is doing. He's writing to enlighten their ignorance concerning spiritual gifts, uh, writing to enlighten their ignorance concerning... Uh, the spiritual lessons from Israel's experiences. And here in Romans he's writing concerning, uh, to enlighten the ignorance concerning Israel's blindness. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, uh, Peter uses this expression once. Maybe he picked it up off Paul. Something of Paul rubbed off on Peter, I hope anyway. Second uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, and here he's dealing with the thousand year day theory. And again, uh, Peter uses the same expression about ignorance. And I would say a lot of God's people are ignorant of the thousand-year-day plan of God. I was just reading a book when I was up in Sydney that uh, this man says Christ mightn't come back for another 36,800 years. Well, I think that would be ignorance. How many think the world's going to go on like it is for another 36,800 years? before Jesus comes. <laughs> All right, so Second Peter, perhaps I should send him this when I read his book fully. Uh, verse 8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, 
that one day is with the Lord, one day is with man 24 hours, and 24 hours is one day, but we're talking about the day of the Lord. So uh, one, uh, one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day, and as we've seen before, he's quoting it from Moses, who wrote Psalm 90. All right, so uh, Peter is writing to enlighten their ignorance concerning God's days. To enlighten their ignorance concerning God's days. And then number uh, five here, which is what we're looking at tonight, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians to light, enlighten their ignorance concerning uh, those who have died in Christ before his coming. Okay, to enlighten their ignorance concerning those who have died in Christ before his coming, or what happens to those who have died in Christ at his coming. Events pertaining to the second coming, anyway. All right, now I think we can all say a hearty amen to this next statement. The only thing that can enlighten our ignorance is the Word of God. Amen. amen. All right, now, B, let's turn back to 1 Thessalonians 4 now. And uh, under section B now, in this section, and remember, we've already dealt with the Antichrist uh, at the second coming of the Lord. He's going to be slain with the brightness of Christ's coming already dealt with the unbelievers and followers of the Antichrist. They're going to be punished uh, by, uh, from the presence of the Lord with everlasting destruction, flaming fire. Well, now we're talking about the believers. All right, so the believers. All right, now under B here, uh, the subheading I have is two groupings of saints. Now in the passage that we've got here, Paul refers to simply two groupings of saints. Number one, the dead in Christ. Okay, the dead those who sleep in Jesus, and number two, the living in Christ, those who are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord. So the dead in Christ, the dead in Christ, not the dead outside of Christ, the dead in Christ and the living. All right, so we have the dead in Christ and the living, the living in Christ, we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord. All right, the other company, you'll notice just a very brief reference to them in verse 13, the unbelievers, this is right off your notes here, the unbelievers are referred to as others who have no hope. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. And so the unbeliever has no hope. There's, there's no hope about, uh, apart from Christ. Uh, uh, add to that uh, poor, uh, part there, Ephesians chapter 2, and verse 12, Ephesians 2, verse 12, uh, where Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and he said, uh, speaking of the condition of the Gentiles outside of Christ, he says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. So, having no hope, uh, that we sorrow not even as those others, as others which have no hope. In contrast, uh, Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. Titus 2, 13. And in contrast to those others outside of Christ who have no hope, uh, look what we have. Titus 2, 13. Looking for that blessed hope 
and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, the blessed hope. How many are glad that we do have a blessed hope in Christ? But outside of Christ, we are hopeless and helpless. All right, now, in the uh, Thessalonian passage, Paul is mainly dealing with two companies of people, as I said, two groupings of the saints, those who are dead in Christ and the, the ones who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. Uh, back to our notes here. Paul's word of the Lord to the Thessalonians here concerns only the believers and what happens to and for them at Christ's coming again. All right, C. Under C, we have a question here. Where are the dead in Christ? Now, I want to answer a couple of questions here and uh, we'll pick up, uh, as I said, a subsequent session here. We're looking at the believers now and what happens at the coming of Christ to the believers. And as, we've, as we, we've said here, we've got those who are dead in Christ and these are going to rise first. Rise first. So the living are not going to beat them up. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. So the, the, the limit is in Christ, the dead in Christ. So it's not a general resurrection. And then over here, of course, we have the living... And uh, the living who are alive, and Paul uses that expression, alive and remain. Uh, why don't you just turn over the book of Genesis, just, uh, just for one thought I'll throw in here. Uh, this is the only other place I've particularly seen this expression uh, from the book of Genesis, and it's quite interesting uh, how it's used, and particularly in the authorized. So just slip over to uh, Genesis a moment. And as far as I know, this is the only other uh, uh, passage in the Bible where this expression, alive and remain, is used. Uh, but where it's used is significant. Okay, uh, book of Genesis, chapter 7 and verse 23. Now I'm reading from authorized translation, so uh, just bear with me here. All right, Genesis 7. And verse 23. And every living substance was destroyed which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle, and the creeping things and the fowl of the heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth. And now listen to this expression. And Noah only remained alive. And they that were with him in the ark. It's a very significant expression. Noah only remained alive and they that were with him in the ark. And remember Jesus took this up and at least gave us the interpretive key. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. When Jesus comes the second time, as we've seen, he will destroy all ungodly flesh, Antichrist and his followers, as all ungodly flesh was destroyed in the days of Noah. Noah only was safe in a triune ark, and Noah only and his family remained alive. We which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, because all ungodly flesh will be destroyed. And as it was in the days of Noah, 
And Jesus said, oh, in the days of Noah, my spirit will not always strive with man. So there came a time in the days of Noah when the Holy Spirit ceased to strive with man and not another person was convicted the moment the door was shut. Not another person was convicted or converted. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. The Spirit will not always strive a man. There's going to come the shutting of the door, and I would like to be in God's ark. Wouldn't you? Now, there's more in that than meets the ear. You're looking at me like a cow looks at a new gate, some of you. Okay. So, in the coming of Christ, we're looking at what happens to believers. He zapped the Antichrist, he zapped the unbelievers, destroyed them with the brightness of his coming. We're looking at what happens to the goodies. The dead in Christ rise first, we which are alive and remain. Now, that's something that we very, very, well, I don't know that we've ever touched on it here. Let's go back to Thessalonians. And I won't, uh, I won't uh, ask you to put your hands up on this, but uh, there are some people and some churches that uh, believe in what is called soul sleep. And just as Paul was writing to the Thessalonians to tell them, okay, these who are dead in Christ are asleep. Asleep in Jesus is the expression. What does Paul mean about the dead in Christ? Are they asleep? Is there such a thing as soul sleep? What does he mean? Notice, notice the use of the word sleep here in verse 13. Uh, Brethren, I would not you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord should not prevent them which are asleep. Now, I believe the scripture clearly teaches us that the sleep is referring to the body and not to soul sleep. Hope some of you can say amen. All right, just for your en 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 enlightenment, uh, to enlighten your ignorance, if you have it, Let's look at uh, how the scripture uses this expression, sleep. Okay, Mark chapter 5. And uh, we're comforting one another with these words. I don't know uh, if we realize in the last number of months how many uh, deaths we seem to have had in Waverley here. You realize that? We just seem to have had a little bit of a wave of funerals around here. And uh, so what's happened to those people? Are they asleep somewhere? All right, in Mark chapter 5 and verse 38 through to 42, we have Jesus raising Jairus' uh, uh, daughter from, dead, the death, uh, from, dead, uh, from death here. And uh, in verse 38, And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he said unto them, Why are you making this ado for? Why are you weeping? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. 
and they laughed him to scorn. Amazing how their tears turned to laughter so quickly, isn't it? But when he had uh, put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And uh, he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, uh, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto you, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked. For she was uh, of the age of 12 years and they were astonished with a great astonishment. All right, now, was the damsel dead or asleep? Okay, she's dead physically. She's not dead in her spirit. She's dead physically, and yet Jesus likened physical death there to sleep. Go over to John's Gospel, and we have the same expression used of Lazarus. When uh, John's Gospel, uh, chapter 11, which is on your note there, so I want you to note the use of the word sleep here. And Lazarus has died. And so in verse 11, these things said he, and after he said unto them, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. And notice how the disciples misinterpreted the sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Now here we have the interpretation of the sleep. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he'd spoken of taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Look, Lazarus is dead. So death is likened to a sleep. Them which sleep in Jesus. Physical death likened to a sleep. Go to Acts chapter 7 and verse 60. Sleep, as we'll see. Uh, verse 59 and 60, uh, we'll put uh, verse 59 also, Acts 7 and verse 59 60. As Stephen is being stoned after giving a hot message to the Sanhedrin here, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Notice, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So the body asleep physically. But he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. All right, go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is the great resurrection chapter. Now see, there are those that uh, teach when people die that Life is extinguished and people are just sleeping in the grave in a state of unconsciousness. I believe the Bible teaches that when a believer dies, he goes right into the presence of the Lord. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, the word sleep is used uh, twice in this chapter at least. In uh, verse 18, uh, verse 17 and 18, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, you are yet in your sins. And they also which are fallen asleep in Christ to perish, fallen asleep. And then down to 51, Paul has a mystery here. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all what? And what does he mean by sleep there? We shall not all die. So we'll not all die physically. Okay? We all sleep, sleep. I'm going home to sleep tonight, I hope. If my wife doesn't kick me too much. Uh, but we'll not all sleep, we'll not all, not all die physically, but we shall all be changed. 
All right, so you see how the word sleep is used of the body and not of soul sleep. So I've given you uh, one, two, three, four, five, about seven or eight verses where the word sleep is used and you'll notice it's used in every time, each time relative to the body. Okay, over the page here. Next expression that we have here uh, that Paul uses concerning them which are asleep in Jesus and if they are asleep, they're going to be woken out of their sleep. Jesus went to sleep physically in his body and he was awakened by resurrection. So resurrection is awakening out of sleep. That's, uh, that's Paul's thought there. All right, the next expression he has here is the dead in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 22. Why don't we uh, just note that a moment? And I've emphasized this so far, but because there are some uh, in various churches who teach that when Christ comes back, there will be a general resurrection of the goodies and baddies. Everybody, there's only just one resurrection, no thousand years, no second resurrection, and that everybody will rise well, Paul teaches about those who are in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 22, or verse 21, 22, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So Paul is very clear. In Corinthians and in Thessalonians, it's the dead in Christ. How many are in Christ tonight? I'm glad I'm in Christ, so... If I die, I die in faith. I don't die in unbelief and I'm still in Christ. All right, now reading off our notes here. In the Old Testament, the saints, as I understand it, went to Sheol or Hades to the company of the righteous. Their bodies went to the grave and their spirits went to Sheol or Hades, which simply means the place of the departed spirits. In the New Testament, since the death and resurrection or sleep and awakening of Christ and his ascension, all believers go to be with the Lord in paradise, the third heaven where Christ took the Old Testament saints after the three days and three nights redemptive work. Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 12, the little part I've quoted there. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse uh, 22 uh, through to 24. Hebrews 12. And uh, the writer to the Hebrews says, You have come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and here it is, and to the spirits of just, or justified, or righteous men made perfect. Where? Spirits in heaven. Not in Sheol or Hades, but in heaven the third heaven, the paradise. Go over to Revelation chapter 6 and uh, this scripture certainly refutes any such doctrine as soul sleep. Revelation chapter 6 and uh, verses 9 through to 11. Here John is seeing the opening of the seven seal book and so in verse 9, when he had opened the, that's when the Lamb had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they are fast asleep and snoring like one thing. No, it says they cried with a loud voice. That's quite evident they're dead. 
not a whole heap of bodies there, souls. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, do you not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And so they're pretty noisy souls. They're not very much asleep here. They're wide awake, very active, talking to the Lord, crying to the Lord, looking for vengeance on their martyred blood. And just as the soul life of the animals poured out at the sacrificial altar, so these souls, these martyrs, have made the supreme sacrifice and their blood has been poured out at the sacrificial altar. And white robes were given unto every one of them. It was said unto them that they should rest, not sleep. Rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled until the full number of martyrs. So no such soul, uh, thing as soul sleep here. All right, now let me just give a brief quote here because our time's gone. The following scriptures show what happens to a believer's spirit when his body dies and is laid in the grave. Let me just quote some facts here. Luke chapter 23, and you can just put down a, a brief quote here. Jesus said to the dying thief, we won't turn to these scriptures now, Jesus said to the dying thief, Verily I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. So the dying thief, where did he go? Paradise. Paradise is not downstairs, never was, never will be. Contrary to Schofield, who's dead and knows better. Paradise is the third heaven, which I've put down the bottom here. Paul was caught up to paradise, to the third heaven, not down to paradise. The tree of life is in the midst of paradise. The tree of life has not been downstairs. at Schofield, okay? All right, so the, the dying thief, uh, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Acts chapter 7 and verse 55 to 60, which we've just read, uh, Stephen said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So where does uh, Stephen's spirit go? Right into the presence of the Lord, Lord Jesus. He saw heaven open, saw Jesus standing to receive the first martyr, and, and Stephen said, Lord, receive my spirit. All right, Second Peter chapter 1, when uh, the apostle Peter was about to die, he said he was putting off his tabernacle, and he spoke of his decease, and the Greek uh, thought of uh, decease is my exodus or my departure. So he spoke of his exodus, putting off his tabernacle, referring to his fleshly body, and going to be with Christ. Philippians chapter 1. When Paul uh, talks about death, he says, I am a in a strait uh, betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. So Paul saw death, was departure to be with Christ. Where is Christ? Sitting in the right hand of God and the Father in heaven. So to, to, to depart and be with Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about our body, our tabernacle being dissolved by death, but getting another body from heaven. And then he uses this expression, we are happy to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. So 2 Corinthians 5, absent from the body, and where? Present with the Lord, not asleep. And then uh, 2 Timothy, 
chapter 4 and we better finish here finish this uh, next time and our time's up by the sound of things okay 2 Timothy 4 verse 6 Paul said the time of his departure was at hand and he would be leaving the world to go to be with Christ the time of his departure at hand all right we'll fill in those others later on so finishing up here when Jesus body was laid in the grave his spirit went to be with the father in paradise the third heaven paradise is the third heaven so when the believers died so every believer who's died in Christ all the Old Testament saints who have died they are now with the father in heaven spirits of just men made perfect and every person every believer that has died in Christ since has gone straight to be with heaven gone straight to be in heaven with Christ and so when Jesus comes the second time he's going to bring their spirits with him then there'll be the resurrection the dead in Christ will rise first then we which are alive so Paul says comfort one another with these words so the saints who have gone on they've gone to be with the Lord they're not asleep in a state of unconsciousness but they're in the presence of the Lord and enjoying the presence of the Lord aren't you glad for that? Amen. All right, let's uh, close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord that came to Paul. And you inspired him to write about the conditions of those who believe in you and have died. We thank you, Lord, that they're asleep in Jesus and they're with you in your presence. And Lord, we just pray that you'll just uh, help us to comfort one another with these words. And Lord, those who, who lose uh, believing uh, relatives and believing friends, Lord, that we do not sorrow as the world that has no hope, but our hope is in Christ and our hope is in the resurrection. Thank you for your precious word, Lord, and pray that thy uh, presence will just be with us now as we separate and as we gather over this weekend for the evangelism seminar and the Sunday gatherings. Let your spirit be amongst us as we gather to worship and glorify your name. And we ask this in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org where you can access PDF downloads of all of Kevin Connor's books as well as his video training courses including the Key of Knowledge Seminar and Foundations of Christian Doctrine.